A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I'm sure everybody in here knows dad jokes. Uh, you know, the kind of jokes that people tell, they're not, very, they're not really jokes, they're not even very funny. But they're a group of people that really like them. They're generally puns, and they're generally silly, and they're the kind of things that dads feel like they need to say, I guess, once they have kids. You know, they say it, nobody thinks it's funny, and everybody groans. Well, I'm not a dad joke kind of guy. I never have been, but I am a dad. Uh, but being a preacher, uh, we have our own uh, series of things that are similar. Stories. Preacher stories are the kind of stories that people like me tell that you stand up and tell them like they're they're fake, even though we're supposed to tell the truth. Uh, and they tell you a little story, and uh, they make a little point. So have you heard the one about the woman who comes into the kitchen on a Sunday morning, and her husband's sitting at the table eating Captain Crunch in his underwear, well, I'm not going to church today. And she says, what? Will you give me one good reason that I'm not, you're not going to go to church? And he says, well, I'll give you two. I don't like anybody at that church. And I don't think anybody at that church likes me. She says, well, that's beside the point. He said, you have to go to church today. And he said, well, you give me one good reason. She said, I'll do better. I'll give you two. One is, you're a follower of Jesus, and Jesus said you do not forsake the assembling of yourself together. And the second is, you're the preacher. <laughs> now, now, let me be really clear. <laughs> let me re be really clear. I am not sharing that with you today to go, and that's how I feel. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Ed, I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been blessed to be the pastor of this church for 32 years now, and I love this church, and I love getting to be a part of this church with all of you. It's one of the great joys of my life, not, not because everything has been great and we've always been good to each other, not because everything's always gone smoothly, smoothly. The primary reason now that I love what this church is is what it has done in my life how God has used this church and all of you to change and make me into the person that I know he's wanting me to be. More than loving this church, if you knew me a little better, you'd know I love the church. I love the church. I am sold out to the idea of the church. I love the church when it's going good. I love the church when it's going bad. I love the church down the road from us. I love the church. I love the churches in this county. I love the churches in our state. I love the church worldwide. Now, some of you would quickly point out, 
Well, the church has a lot of problems. I know. I've been doing it for a long, long time. And I know we say regularly around here that Jesus, we believe he's right about absolutely everything, but I have to tell you, I think this whole idea of church, it may be his best idea. I love it. I love the big ones. I love the small ones. I love the ones that are getting started. I love the ones that are just about to die to help them die with dignity. I love all of the process of this idea of Jesus called the church. And today, I want to start a series where we talk about about the church and about not just our church, but the church. And I want to get at what that preacher story was trying to get at and uh, of just how essential the church really is in the life of a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're regular, let me just give you a chance. If you're one of our regular folks around here, let me give you a chance to relax. The last series we did, we taught on Jesus from the book of John for a long time. This series will not last that long. It will be significantly shorter than that. But I've come to believe that it is really, really essential that we talk to you about this over the next few weeks. And here's how I'll start because it gets me where we need to go. I don't have to ask you if any of you remember in March of 2020 when the COVID shutdown started, back when we learned that American's best idea for a pandemic was buy all the toilet paper you could. Little did we know in March of 2020 all the things that we would learn that would change. I mean, we learned all kinds of stuff over the last two, two years. We learned, some of us learned, that working from home, it was our jam. Man, we loved working from home. And we didn't ever want to go back. In fact, when they started telling us a few months ago we we're going to have to come back, a bunch of you go, no. I'm going to find something else to do where I can work from home. I love working from home. We learned that we really like shopping for everything online, and we like it that it can be delivered now. Like you could order it now, and it could be there this afternoon. We love that. We learned that kids could go to school on, online, and most of parents learned we do not want that to happen, not ever again. God bless the teachers. Do you, do you remember early on when people were telling us, you know, that things had to shut down? And I remember people coming to me, and we shut down a little bit later than everybody else, two weeks later than most people in the county. And there were these debates about what was essential to have happen and was it, what wasn't all that essential to happen. Schools wasn't essential to stay open. They could close. Restaurants could close. Hospitals, essential to stay open. Grocery stores, essential to stay open. Uh, some were essential and some weren't. And most of people in, in my world, uh, in the church world, we learned that we could pivot really quickly and we could begin to bring services online. Stuff like this, we could just begin to broadcast it. Now, a lot of us were already doing that. We had been doing that for a while, but we quickly learned when it was the only thing, there might have to be some changes made. And I haven't, don't think I've said this publicly uh, uh, since we got back in, in, in person, uh, majority, but I, I need to take a moment and tell you how grateful I am for our staff and that they led and they carried us. Almost every single person on their staff, I probably did as little change as anybody else, but almost everybody else had to pivot their job like that. 
I mean, almost everybody on our staff made major changes to what they had been doing, and they tried to creatively and Christ-honoringly as they could pivot in a hurry. And they continue to do that and evaluate every day. And I'll tell you from my viewpoint, and I think our staff's viewpoint, we are better as a staff than we have ever been. Man, we are creative, and we're working together better than we have ever had. But I am so thankful for them and their willingness to hang in with all of that. And I'm thankful in the last few weeks that we've been able to bring it back online in the way that we think is, we pivoted again and we started streaming in this service again. It's online at 11 o'clock every week. And I've heard from people in our church that, who have health conditions or who have to travel at times, how thankful they are that they can be involved with the church and they can stay involved when they have to be gone on Sunday. And they're thankful for online small groups that, they're still connected to, and we found that that worked so well. But I need to say, with all of that that I'm thankful for about what happened when we pivoted so quickly, I need to tell you that what everybody is learning in almost every industry, and we certainly have been learning in the church, that one of the things that the, the impact of this pandemic was, that everything that was going on in our world, it just got accelerated. All the problems in our world, all the things that were going to be changed in our world, all the innovations that were happening in our world. I mean, they rolled the innovations out to you in a heartbeat, and they're things now that you've been doing for two years. They weren't even thinking about bringing them about for about three or four more years. And everything just went far ahead. And what's happened, I'm convinced, in the pandemic and a lot of other people that their whole job is studying sociologically what's happened in the church is that there's a trend that it started a decade or so earlier and all of us on the inside knew what was going on where there were more and more people in our country, primarily only in our country, that said, I can be a full follower of Jesus and the church is not essential. I can do everything that I need to do with Jesus and the church does not play an essential role. And I believe a part of the reason for that is that people who do what I do in my generation did such a horrible job of teaching people like you the essential nature of the church. So what I want to do in this series is I want to try to answer for you just how essential is the church. Let's begin by making sure we're talking about the same thing when we say the word church. Most of us use the word like it's a destination or an event. Let's go to church. Or maybe more commonly, let's not go to church and sleep in. But that's not how the word is used in the Bible. So throughout this series, we're not talking about church as a building. We're also not talking about the universal church, meaning the followers of Jesus around the world. In this series, when we talk about the church, we're talking about the way the Bible most often uses the word. Here's our working definition for church in this series. A local community of Jesus followers who gather regularly and commit together to help each other continue to follow Jesus and live as an outpost of the kingdom of heaven in their local community. Now that's a big definition, and it may be foreign to most of us, but that's the picture of the early church we see in the New Testament. When Luke writes the history of the early church, it was a local community of Jesus followers who had committed themselves to regularly meeting to help each other follow Jesus and together to live as an outpost of the kingdom of heaven to their watching community. These are the kind of communities Peter and Paul and James and John wrote their letters to, and being part of these communities was essential to the faith of these earliest believers. That may feel foreign to us, 
who are used to church just being an event or something we do on the weekends. But you should know that the people who are closest to Jesus and that he chose to launch the church knew nothing else than following him in this way. And the same is true for followers of Jesus around the world who are living daily with the very real threat of death because they follow Jesus. We don't often think about it, but today millions of Christians are risking loss of jobs or imprisonment or even death to get together with other Christians in their community because they understand that being part of their local church is an essential part of following Jesus. They would not know how to follow Jesus alone. But in our capitalist, individualistic society, we make everything something to consume. And so sadly, the church becomes more commodity than community. It's just spiritual teaching you can consume to take you personally deeper, and you can get it when you want, where you want. Because we live in an on-demand, consumer-driven, content-heavy world. And many of us have turned faith into just some private experience that we customize to fit our personality. We say, my church is a good cup of coffee and sitting on my porch and thinking about how blessed I am. Or my church is watching my kid play sports or do something he loves. My church is walking in the woods, looking for a deer, dropping a line in the water. We've turned church into something we purchase or consume or order. It's become an event that we attend and delivers us the content we want that makes us feel how we want. And instead of the church being a people I'm committed to who are essential to my life and my faith, we turn church into content we consume and we've missed the point. So here's the question that we collectively are gonna wrestle with today. In what ways have you turned church into a commodity and not a community? How has church for you just become some content you get and consume every weekend instead of this community that you are fully committed to? You know, last week we read Jesus' prayer for his followers and he said he wanted us to be united as one just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. That is Jesus' desire for his church. This deep connection, this unity together. And this is why beginning with the very earliest followers of Jesus, believers around the world began to call one another brother, sister, because Jesus he didn't just invite you and me into the private, this private kind of spirituality or some belief system that makes us individually better people. He invited us into a kingdom or a new kind of family where we belong to each other. Where when one person suffers, all of us suffer. When one person succeeds, all of us succeed. Where we rejoice when others rejoice. Where we mourn when others mourn. But you know, this kind of life, it requires a relational connection and a, and a closeness that, let's be honest, many of us just don't experience in church. See, when church just becomes an event or just content you're getting, you don't ever experience the fullness of the life that Jesus has invited you into. Sure, you might know a few people at church, but you're not close enough to those people to know when are they struggling? When are they succeeding? When do they need encouragement? When are they rejoicing? 
So we wanted to take a few moments of quiet to just sit with that for a minute. And we're going to do that with some words of Scripture that we're going to put on the screen. And they, these Scriptures speak about God's desire for His church. And I want you in the silence to read these words on the screen that describe what life in God's family is supposed to look like. And as you do, I want you to invite God and say, God, reveal to me any way that I, have, I am not living out these commands because I'm not connected or I'm not committed enough to some other believers. I'm not living in love with other believers as brothers, as sisters. So you just take a few moments and you read these words and reflect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you speak to us, each one of us right now, reveal to us what it is we need to do so that we can love you by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ in the ways we just read. Father, we desire to be the kind of church that Jesus prayed for. We want to be a people united to one another just as you are. Father, Son, and Spirit are one. Would you teach us to love, devote ourselves to one another the way you have done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to one more time offer one more defense before we go on and just know that if I were sitting where you're saying, I would think, well, it had to happen sometimes. Preachers like full rooms, and he's tired of the seats not being full. And so he wants everybody to get everything back on track the way it used to be. 
And I can say with a lot of confidence that I've done the thing of speaking to full rooms, and I've spoken to big rooms, and I did it for a good while. And one thing that I've learned in the last two years that's taught me is I don't want to ever lead again just to have full rooms. I want to lead in a way that people who want to follow God, I don't want to lead anymore where people want me to do what they want me to do regardless of what God says. At this point in my life in ministry, I can assure you, being faithful to the mission of Jesus is more important to me than almost anything. Growing disciples like he asked is important. And since I've read the book that he left with the instructions that we have, I don't have any way to grow disciples except through the church. He did not leave any other option. He did not say it could be done individually. He only asked for the church. So what I want to do over the next few weeks is I want to try as much as I can, and us together, I want to try to make the case together that the church is absolutely essential. And I just want to check and say again, when I say the word church, it's what Kelly's already defined to you. It's a local community of followers of Jesus committed to God, but also deeply committed to each other to help one another grow to be like Jesus and live together as an outpost in their local community as the kingdom of God in a world that doesn't know him. That's the church. A local community committed to each other and to God to help each other and to represent Jesus in our community. And we're going to tr try to help you see that that kind of church, it's essential to your faith, it's essential to your growth, it's essential to the mission of God, it's essential to your purpose in life. It's just essential. But today, in what I have left in the start of this series today, I want to just say to you, if you haven't realized it or not, and maybe you just read past these parts, I know we haven't taught it maybe as well as we can, Church is absolutely essential to Jesus. Jesus tells us at the end of his life, he says to his disciples, all authority has been given to me, so you don't have to question when I say anything. All authority is mine. And out of that, he says, in heaven and earth, everything belongs to me, and he used his authority to establish the church. In fact, I want to look at some words of Jesus. They're the ones we read earlier, but in case you've forgotten them, I want to just read them out loud to you. This is Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he asked them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the King. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't get this from any human being. And now I say to you, you're Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, almost always when people teach this, and I have done this too, is people point out, that the rock that Jesus is talking about is not Peter, it's that confession. It'll be the solid standing point for the, the church to be built. 
But I also think it's important, at least for our culture in our day, in the way that most believers that I should point out to you, you'll notice that Jesus did not say, I will build my relationship with you individually. He did not say on that confession of faith that if you make that confession of faith, I will build your relationship with me. He said on that confession, I will build my church. And Jesus used a word that was a collective word. It was literally a word in the, in the Greek language that means the called out ones. It's the ecclesia, it's the assembly, it's the word we've come to call church. The church gets launched into the world. And it's not like a lot of sociologists who aren't followers of Jesus would have you believe that it's like an experiment by his later followers who wanted to create some kind of kingdom on this earth. Jesus launched it before he had gone from this world. It was to be the unstoppable component of his way to redeem the world. In our world, where so many people see all the problems in the world and all the problems that are in the church where there's one scandal out of another after another coming out of the church, do I have to ask you in a place where we say Jesus is right, do you think Jesus knew the church would have problems like it's had? I mean, it's been so popular in our world to post or blog or post something on Facebook about how hypocritical and weak and pitiful the church is in our world and how much hurt and damage the church has caused. And let me just say, I am not saying those things aren't true. The church has done tremendous damage and hurt in our world. But you cannot believe in Jesus and believe that he's God and believe that he's right about everything and also believe that Jesus didn't know that the church would have flaws. There has never, ever been a perfect church, including the very first one. I've had people to say to me over 40 years, wouldn't it have just been great to be a part of that early assembly where everything was just the way that Jesus was wanted to be and everything, everybody was so close and loved each other? And later in my flippant days, I've gotten to the place that I say to you, do you mean the ones where five chapters into the book of Acts there's already racial divisions and the Jewish people won't feed the Greek people? You want to be a part of that one where there's racial divisions just right at the beginning? You don't want that one? How about the one in Corinth that Paul got started that he has to write them a letter and saying, I've heard that there's a guy in your church who's sleeping with his father's wife. And the reason Paul heard about it is not the church told him, people in the community told him. The church was proud of it that they allowed it to happen. Is that the church you want to be a part of? I mean, the church of Jesus Christ was established as a local faith community of people who were trying to get their stuff together and were in desperate need of grace. That's us, isn't it? And so... Did Jesus make a mistake? I mean, if the church was always going to be flawed, if the church was always going to make mistakes, if it was always going to struggle, did Jesus make a, did Jesus make a mistake when he made it his permanent plan? Paul said in Ephesians 3, Now all glory to God who's able, through his mighty power that's at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Glory to him, where? In the church, not in you. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus 
throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Christ is glorified through his church. Christ is glorified in the church. And that makes the church in our world, in our culture, absolutely essential. So what I want to do with just the little bit I have left is I want to say a few quick thoughts to you, big thoughts about the church that we'll launch with. Here's the first one. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He said, I will build my church. He's the source of the church's life. So what that means is, this is not my church. And it ain't your church. This church belongs to Jesus because he bought it with his life. Now, I'm not going to pretend over the last 2,000 years that the church that Jesus purchased, that he probably hasn't wanted to return it at some point. I'm not going to act like people haven't been hurt, and I'm not going to act like in the 32 years that I've been blessed to lead here that we also haven't messed up. That would be a lie. I hear people say, well, I'll tell you, I love God. I am sold out to Jesus, but I am done with the church. You know who you'll never hear say that? Jesus. Jesus is not done with the church. And Jesus alone sets the agenda for the church. Jesus loves his church, and he predicted such a bright future for his church. He alone sets the, the, the agenda. And do you know, remember what I just read that he said the agenda was? He said the agenda for the church was we would push back the gates of hell. I mean, you never hear Jesus say that the church is just going to whimper along and hunker down. In our country, there are all kinds of organizations that bear the name of Jesus. They're Christian radio stations and Christian book clubs and they're Christians' businesses and they're Christian schools. But Jesus did not promise to build a business. Jesus did not promise to build a school. And for sure, Jesus did not promise to build a Christian nation. He said, I will build my church. We collectively together are the chosen instrument for accomplishing his mission in the world. We are his only plan for this world. Even though he knew that all the power of hell itself would be thrown against us. But can you drop all the ideas that I have to say to people all the time when they come in with all the gloom and doom that mainly is off of Fox News and CNN of all the things they hear of how bad our world's going and they say to me, the world is just going to hell in a handbasket and it's worse than it's ever been. And I don't know how we'll survive. I'll just say to you again, Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail. And you need to look at that really clearly when people say to me that this is evidence of the end times and that the devil's unleashed and he's coming forward. The only reason any city has gates is for defense, not offense. The gates of hell, the devil, and the day that Jesus died... He's begun to hunker down, realizing that the church is knocking the gates down. I mean, when you look around the world and you see evil, remember, Jesus' plan was not for the church to, to complain and to stand back. We are his solution to evil in our world, in our community. 
We are the solution. And no matter what it feels like to you in the moment, what other people say to you, we already know who wins the battle. The church wins because Jesus has already won the battle. And because Jesus behind the church, the church always has a future ahead. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't local churches that, that won't survive. And I'm not a doomsayer, and I, I don't believe the church is dying. I don't believe it's taking a back seat because the church can't be killed. You know why? Because the church is the body of Christ, and they tried killing that body once. It didn't work too well. Maybe, maybe I should remind you, when you look at the church of the United States that is retreating these days, there's no doubt. There is no way to look at the American, and I should say this right, evangelical white church and not see that it is a majority in retreat in our country. But do I need to remind you that the majority of Christians in our world, they aren't American and they're not white. Christianity is busting our world wide open. I mean, you take Africa. In 1900, there were 9 million Christians on the whole continent of Africa. Today, there's 685 million Christians in Africa. That's twice as many Christians as there are people in the United States of America. The church is exploding in Asia. By 2030, the largest country in the world, China, will have more Christians in it than there are people in the United States even though we hear that communism is the death blow for, for Christianity. It is not. It seems to be a fertilizer. <laughs> the church is exploding all throughout the Middle East where you hear only in the Muslim world that Muslims are moving forward. In fact, according to the Center for the Study of Biblical Christianity, the nation of Iran is the fastest growing place of Christianity these days. There is a war going on in our world, but it is not the culture war that everybody keeps draw, draw, drawing you into. It's the war that was already decided at the cross and the resurrection. And remember, Jesus wins, and he loves his church. And you cannot love Jesus fully and not love his church too. Jesus loves his church. But he doesn't love, love a flawless church. Jesus loves the church to make her flawless. Paul picks this up in Ephesians, which we're going to study soon. He does this strange thing when he talks about the church. He uses the marriage metaphor to talk about the church. He says, Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body, which is the church. So husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to make her belong to God. God used the word to make the church clean by washing it with water. He died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all her beauty. He died so that the church could be pure and without fault, with no evil or sin or any other wrong thing in it. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. The man who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hates his own body, but he feeds and takes care of it. That's what Jesus does for his church. He doesn't love a perfect church any more than two people married love perfect spouses. 
Jesus loves the church to make us perfect. A few years ago, I saw a thing on Good Morning America about a young lady who was five weeks away from her wedding, and she had a, a really severe car accident. She suffered a broken pelvis. And I remember sitting watching it, everybody that was talking about that they had told her, hey, we can delay the wedding, it's no big deal. Even the place that she was going to be, hold her wedding, told her, you won't lose any money because it was such a bad accident. But she was committed to go through with the wedding on the day that she and her groom had proposed. So on that day of the ceremony, her father pushed her in a wheelchair down the aisle. And halfway down the aisle, her groom, Stuart, met them and picked Hannah up out of the chair and carried her to the altar of the ceremony. I remember th thinking about that four years ago, thinking that's what Jesus is doing for his church. He's carrying us even though we're limping in our culture. There is a wedding coming. It is surely coming. Jesus will receive his bride. So would you remember that? When you begin to think the church doesn't really matter, that being a part of a church is just not an essential? This is Jesus' one plan for your life. And Jesus loves this church. And one day, he is returning, the Bible tells, for the church.